Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? Doing really well. How are you today? I'm doing all right, Lance. Today's episode really just makes me want to hug my loved ones. This one is with Kelsey German. Of course, her sister Liberty German and Abigail Williams were murdered two years ago in February, February 13th of 2017, Lance. Yeah, I mean, when you lose anybody in your family, uh, let alone to the circumstances that Kelsey lost uh, her sister Libby um, and, you know, her friend Abby, it's uh, really something that puts everything into perspective. And I think you and I during this interview started to, I guess I did a little bit, started to wonder what I would do in her situation. And, you know, just being so young, I... I was just blown away by how articulate and how uh, methodical she is with her uh, her her mission now. Yeah, she's 19 years old now. She was 17 at the time of Liberty's uh, murder. And, of course, uh, these are the Delphi murders, um, as they're known. It happened in Delphi, Indiana. And uh, Kelsey German, she agreed to come to the American Crime Fest, um, which was cool, but obviously didn't happen. But that's kind of how we got introduced to her. And the reason she was going to go is because she was going to be on this advocacy panel about um, using social media to advocate for your missing or murdered loved one. And she does an incredible job of that on Twitter. Yeah, and she actually works with uh, law enforcement, the local law enforcement, uh, in, a, in a way that is uh, something really to be admired. Um, it's, it's incredible the way she has utilize the tools that are at her disposal being uh you know a millennial being 19 and understanding that the the power in the social media presence and how she can communicate that to law enforcement and say we need to keep using this and they understand that and uh not a lot of people um really take advantage of the relationship that they could have with law enforcement when it comes to figuring out you know the solution here and uh and she's done that and again it's really impressive for somebody who's been through what she's been through at such a young age okay so big thanks to Michelle Casaba for setting this interview up for us and hope you enjoy the interview thank you very much for listening We just want to say thanks a lot for coming on, and we're so sorry about your sister. Yeah, absolutely. I think I kind of have an obligation to do this, um, to push for the justice that we deserve and that other people deserve, too. I think that Libby and Abby both need a really strong advocate, and I'm really honored to be able to be that person. Yeah, and again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for all the work that you do uh, as an advocate um, your, uh, your sister and her best friend, they were, um, they were murdered on February 14th of 2017. That's correct. It'd actually be February 13th. February 13th. Okay. Um, but, uh, and they were found, uh, the next day is, is that, uh, they were found the next morning, the next morning. Okay. Yeah. And that was, uh, Abigail Williams and your sister was 14 and Abigail was 13. And this was in yeah. Delphi, Indiana. And this is something that is um, probably one of the most, uh, I guess, sought after pieces of justice that's out there right now as far as social media. It's at least it's it's right up there, you know, and uh, you're at the forefront of it. And uh, I can't imagine how much energy that takes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went to talk to a school last month um, and they made me aware that this is actually 
the top researched case on the internet on top of John Benet Ramsey and like all these really big cases that we hear about. And that was kind of like really shocking to me because I know that so many people have heard about this case, but then I'm meeting people that don't hear about this case. Um, so it just makes me continue to push and push more energy into it and more time and more effort into getting this solved. Yeah. So you said that you meet uh, people who obviously know about the case and then you meet people that don't know about the case. Is this uh, a meetings that you'd have over social uh, networking? And what's what's your uh, initial conversation with people who don't know about it? So I meet people both on the Internet and um, out in public when I go to different events and different things that I'm putting on myself personally, like even on campus, I'll walk around and meet somebody that's like, hey, what, what's the, what's the thing about that shirt you're wearing? Like it says Abby and Libby, but I've never heard of them. Like, who are they? What, what happened? Um, so like, no matter where I am, I meet people that um, still haven't heard about it, which I think is super crazy to me knowing that everybody has heard about it. But um when I when I talk to these people, I kind of give them a little like spiel about like what happened to them, like who I am, like who my sister was, who Abby was. I just give them the details. I show them the flyer and I ask them to listen to the voice. Um, and it's I always get a reaction like they want to help and they want to be involved in it every single time they talk to me. And I think that's really amazing. Like even like people who aren't into true crime and really have no connection to my sister, they still want to help me um, after hearing the story. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned something there uh, where you asked them if they have any information or if they know anything. And did you just say you have them listen to the voice? I do. Um, when I When I meet them, I share the audio with them. Okay. And for people who don't know what that is, um, can you explain what the audio is? Yeah, so when my sister, um, I think she kind of first realized that there was somebody a little creepy behind her, um, she started recording on her cell phone uh, and actually got a small clip of the guy that killed them in the in the video. And uh, and that was shared pretty pretty far and wide by the uh, the Indiana police. I we we ask you to also listen to the voice and watch the man walk, because that person is obviously known to some people. And also during that press conference that the uh, police held, the 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 man in charge. I can't remember if he was the chief of police or if he was um... the superintendent. Superintendent, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. He no seemed problem. pretty confident that either the person was watching or, I mean, Tim and I walked away from that and we, we said to each other, wow, it's almost like he's talking to the guy in the room. Did you get the same feeling? Yeah, I definitely felt that. Um, when I've, I've had conversations with Doug a few times about this, uh, and I, I think that we're pretty certain that he has to have ties to the area. And that he he's watching from afar. And I think that's true with a lot of cases, you know, like even the Golden State Killer was 
watching from afar. So like right. these people pay attention to what's happening in their cases. And so I think he was kind of hinting at that. Like he, he's either in this room or he's watching this on TV or he's watching this on Facebook live, whatever he's paying attention and he's hearing Doug talk and he kind of like pushed at him and he's like, turn yourself in, like, don't be a coward and, and help us get this case solved. Yeah. I thought that was great. It was so emotional too. Um, did, uh, did a lot of tips come in after that? I don't know the exact number, but I do know that there was a spike in tips. Um, after all of the press conferences, there has been a, a spike no matter what. And it's just like, this case isn't going cold. People are turning stuff in every day. They're getting hundreds of tips daily, like even before that press conference. So it's just never ending tips going into them. That's amazing. Um, to talk about the press conference again, what did you make of the new composite sketch that was released? Uh, it's quite a bit different from the original. Yeah, it is. It is very different. Um, at first, I was really disappointed um, because I'd been looking for this bigger, older man. Um, but as I'd have conversations with them and kind of got to understand why they changed it and how the new sketch came along, I, I'm more hopeful now that it's out. I think that we're looking for the right person now or someone, someone in the middle. I think it's important um, to remember that a sketch isn't a picture of the person. We learned it in our forensic classes, and um, even Doug Carter will tell you that the sketch is just something that someone might have saw. It's kind of what they perceive that person as. Um, so it's not going to be exactly accurate. Um, so it's probably more somebody that looks a little bit like both of them. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, in most cases, a, a sketch is w what someone can describe to an artist. And so there's two people that, that could be incorrect about this. And here, at least there's a video of the person. So you can start there. Although, um, you know, it's not it's not, you know, the guy's looking down. So you can't exactly see his face. But that's interesting. So you, you think the um, the guy is younger than initially uh, believed? I think so. I think it would have to be somebody strong enough to overtake my sister. Um, my sister was pretty strong. She was pretty muscular. Um, so somebody that was weaker probably could have overtaken Abby. But when I think of how big my sister was, I would, I would think of somebody stronger and younger, not somebody older. Right. And are you uh, of the opinion that this person is still in the, the town or at least in the same uh, zip code? I think that he is very close to us. Um, okay. I don't know if that's like in Delphi, like he could be my neighbor maybe, um, but he could also be Thank an so hour much away for and still us. be a local we to Delphi. Really appreciate Do you have moments where you go about your day-to-day, -day, you know, errands, your day-to-day -day business, and, and you're just locked in on every male face that walks walks by you every single day um even when i'm on campus i'll walk around and i'm like oh that guy is my age and he looks a lot like the new sketch um so that that happens to me almost every day if i see somebody that looks like him sometimes i'll just like start a conversation with that person just so i can hear their voice um and it also makes me really paranoid like sometimes 
uh, I have to make sure my door is locked three or four times before I go to bed just because I'm so worried that he's out there somewhere. Um, but I, I definitely look at the men around me a lot more now than I used to. Good for you being so tough um, fighting for this case and advocating and, and being able to deal with all that. Um, I, I'm, I can't even imagine really, but, uh, you're also in school. You're, you're a, um, you're majoring in psych and minoring in forensics at Purdue. I can't even imagine. I mean, that's enough for most people. And, um, you know, you're advocating for your sister's murder and, uh, and going to school full time. It's incredible. I think that being in my forensics classes and psychology classes, I'm able to put more time and effort into the case just because I can sit down and do my forensics homework and say, oh, this is what's happening in my sister's case. And this is what, this is kind of the background of what's happening. And it helps me to look at it in a different way. Um, So where, where other people are getting frustrated when they're not releasing things and like, oh, this is why they're not releasing more of the video, or this is why they're not releasing more of the evidence that they have. um, Just because I know I have more background information. So um, I'm able to continue on with my studies as well as my advocacy at the same time. Did you decide to go into those fields because of this or did that come before? Um, when I started, I was a communications major. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't super sure what I wanted to do at the time, um, but psychology was always one of my very top picks. Um, but after a about six months of advocating for the girls, I had more of a more of an idea of what I wanted to do. Um, so it definitely steered me in this direction, um, but it was always something that was in the back of my brain. Gotcha. And when you're uh, in class and, and you talk about this, do you, I guess, uh, maybe subconsciously solicit the help of your classmates or of your classmates? And uh, do they do they offer their opinion and I mean, is there like sort of like think tanks that that you can uh, come up with? I I do have I have a group of people that are in my forensics and psychology classes. They're not necessarily all in my specific forensic class, Um, but I do have a group of friends that helps me a lot, like with sharing flyers on campus, um, giving me ideas on how I can continue to advocate on campus and get the word out locally. Um, a lot of them are helping me like right now we're doing um, well, we're, we're trying to accomplish this. Um, we're going to put flyers on the cars at our campus and we're going to put up the flyers and hand them out on our campus so that we can get people more our age that are closer to maybe the suspect's age to know about the case. Because what we're finding is All the people that I'm meeting are older. They know about the case online, but they're not in our area and they're not really our age. So we think maybe if we reach out to these younger people, we'll be able to find somebody that does know someone that looks like the new sketch. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, casting a wide net. That's smart. So as far as suspects go, I I do know that um, there have been several that have been talked about. um, And even recently, there was a a man, sort of a, uh, I guess he was a a suspect in a rape who ended up uh, committing suicide there in July, Paul Mm -hmm. Etter. Is that, uh, have you heard about that? I mean, I don't know how close you, you speak with the police over there and how closely they talk to you about this stuff, but is that someone that you and your family consider? 
So the people that end up in the media and the people that get the attention are people that do look a lot like this sketch, but it's just somebody that the media grabs onto and kind of rolls with um, to bring attention to the case. Uh, so they're never actually suspects. They're actually just persons of interest that have been turned in as a tip and then posted as like a side-by-side online. And then they just kind of go with it. So um, when we see these, the the police are aware of them, but the police have never came out and told us formally that any of them have been suspects. Um, so we, we never get too hopeful because we don't want to get our hopes up. Now, you mentioned the police and, and working together with the police. There was a period of time where there were some rumors. I mean, there's always going to be rumors that are out there about this case and everyone's involvement. Um, but uh, what's the relationship like between you and your family and law enforcement and the investigators that are looking into this? Because uh, I know that there were some um, there was a couple of rumors that you had to squash early on about uh, people refusing lie detector tests and stuff like that. Um, you have a good relationship with law enforcement? Absolutely. We we are really close. With, well, especially I'm ex- I'm really close with the law enforcement and my family keeps re- in really close contact with them. But I think they're all so passionate about the case that it would be impossible for us not to be close with them. They like Doug Carter was just at my house a couple of days ago just to chat with me um, a little bit about like internships and that kind of thing. Um, so like it's just that being able to connect with them, like even if we're just like if I'm having a bad day, I can call Doug and he'll talk to me about Libby. Like the things that we both know, he'll just let me rant to him. And that that's a really amazing feeling, just knowing that you have somebody that even if you never call him and you only call him because you want an internship, he's there if you need it. That's and amazing. Think, yeah. And it's that way with like all of our law enforcement. They're just always there to help us when we need it. How large is the town of Delphi? Delphi is not a huge town. I think our population is like 4,000 people, maybe a little over last time I heard. Um, So it's not huge. It's kind of a everybody knows everybody kind of town. Except for one person. Yeah, which is what's like really crazy about the part of him being local is we probably talk to him every single day. And we're not connecting him to it. We're not realizing that he's the person. And it could be that he's the best person in the world to us. Um, and that that he, the person he puts on to us and that fake identity that he's giving us is not the same person that he was in that moment. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that is uh, that is really that is really great, and um, really lo- love to hear that about Doug Carter um, being there for you in that way, and. Um, he was there at CrimeCon too, right? He he went with you to CrimeCon? One of them went. I think Kim Riley came with us to CrimeCon. Doug Carter came with us to Dr. Phil. Oh, okay. Very cool. Okay, so they've they've all had a presence with you. Um that's awesome. And that was the that was the CrimeCon that was in uh Indianapolis? Um no, we went to the one in Nashville. Um the one oh, in Oh Nashville. I'm sorry. They're all a blur to me. Yeah, and then the one after that we went to New Orleans. Right. And so the first one, Jerry came with us, Jerry Holman, and the second one was Kim. It's incredible that that the relationship has 
not only been uh, a mutual respectful relationship, but it's been a working relationship and beneficial. And there's no reason for either party to turn their back on the other one because they see that there's uh, only progress when you're working together. I think that's incredible. Yeah, definitely. I think the case wouldn't be what it is now if we weren't so close with them. If they weren't coming with us to do all these events and they weren't so passionate about getting it solved, we would not be as high profile of a case. Uh, I think our relationship as a family and as um, a connection with law enforcement and just like the dynamics of the whole thing kind of make it really rare to a lot of people. Like you can't say that law enforcement was this close with every single victim's family. Um, it's just a very rare relationship that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And getting back to the size of the town being just a few thousand on top of the town's law enforcement, on top of all of the media and social media attention this is getting, I can't imagine what the person who did this, if they're local, is thinking. It's almost like they have to convince themselves that they they need to hide in plain sight like this because if if there's a shred of, of uh, doubt on them or a shred of suspicion and they move away, well, that's just a, a, a telltale sign. So I feel like they just might feel trapped. Yeah, definitely. I don't I don't understand how they can live in town and stay there and continue to know people and go about their life knowing what they did. And I don't know, I don't know how our town doesn't notice who it is. I don't know how locally we're seeing this guy and not connecting it. And that's just like, it's something really hard to understand. Yeah. I think it's going to take, it's going to take one, one screw up for somebody to, you know, their eyebrows to raise and say, wait a sec, that that's a little off. And then it'll draw attention to that person. Do you think with your background that the person has been violent previously or maybe uh, has the uh, violent escalation uh, happening right now? Like, do they, do you think that they, they want to create or cause more violence? So I would say with all of the research that I have done, um, it's, it's just my opinion. I have no idea what actually happened out there, but um, when I think about it, I can't understand how somebody can go straight to a double homicide right. and in the middle of the day, like daylight in a place where people frequent in our town. So the fact that he's never done this before is it, it's impossible to me. Like if somebody says that, I'm like, how, how can you tell me he's not done this? How can you tell me he has never been violent to anyone? Um, and then when you, are killing in such a violent way. It's also super common for them to go and do it again in a pat like they create patterns for themselves and it happens and I I cannot believe that he's never done this before and he hasn't done it again or he won't do it again. Yeah, it's hard to believe that someone would just in, like their introduction into this is a double homicide of of two adolescent young girls. Yeah, there's there's no way I can could ever believe that statement. Um, I I have a hard time even believing that it was his last one. I yeah. I don't think that like if we don't catch him, he's gonna do it again. That is how I feel, and I 
that I think that's part of the reason why I keep pushing. I think I know that he has the ability to do it again. He's has the violent factor. Um, and I, I don't want anybody else to be his victim. Yeah. I think you're a hundred percent right that there, there's zero chance. He doesn't act again, uh, if he's not caught. So yeah, we'll, we will definitely do our part in sharing that, um, that audio and that picture. Um, my gosh, I hope someone, someone recognizes him or something. Me too. So can you tell us a little bit about your sister Liberty and, um, and Abigail and, uh, and their friendship? Yeah, I can definitely, I can talk more about Libby and their friendship. There's not a, I don't know a whole lot about Abby, which is really sad. Uh-huh. I wish I would have spent more time with her. I wish I would have got to know her a lot better. Um, but I loved their friendship. Um, Libby was a more outgoing and loud, fun person. Um, she was involved in absolutely anything she could be involved in. So she was in soccer, swimming, softball, volleyball, almost all of the sports we have at Delphi. Um, she's a very artsy person. She loved painting. We would paint together. And I, Libby and Abby were both painting in their bedroom the night before. And that's something I remember them laughing all night long, um, painting pictures and creating different things, just whatever they could do to have fun that night. Uh, and then um, Libby was also in band. She played the saxophone. Um, I, th- I think it's the alto saxophone. Um, she loved band, and I remember her wanting to play a new instrument when she got to high school. And my grandma said, well, why don't you just keep going with the, with the saxophone? You, you know that one, you have it, and you're good at it. And she was like, yeah, but I just want to try something new because – that's how she was. She could never do the same thing all the time. And then Abby was more quiet, um, at least to people she wasn't really close with. Um, whenever I hear stories from her family, she was a little more outgoing. But um, when she was around me, she was always quiet. And she loved the arts. She loved music. She loved playing. With, she played the saxophone with Libby. Um, And she played volleyball and was going to play softball with Libby in the fall or spring, one of the two. Um, But I think that their different personalities kind of helped them complement each other. So Libby being the more outgoing one was able to get Abby to be more outgoing and do more things. And then when Libby was being too loud and needed to calm down, Abby would say, Libby, you need to shut up. You're being too much. Um, and so they were, they kind of complimented each other in that way. And it was really cool to watch them grow up together and talk to each other and watch Abby bloom and Libby bloom into really awesome people, awesome women. And they were going to be really amazing and do really great things. And you could, you could just tell that by their friendship and the way they acted towards others. How much older are you? I am two years older than Libby. That's, that's, that's amazing. Was there any point in the early days after you, after this happened that you did not want to find justice? Was there any time when you were just like, F it, I'm done, I can't do this anymore? There have been so many times where I said I wanted to stop. Like even yesterday, I was like, I just want to delete all my social media accounts and be done. Um, but I think the biggest point that I remember wanting to not be any part of it was 
the whole time prior to our first crime con. So it'd been a year, I think, um, at the point where we went to crime con and I met Michelle. And at that point, I was in a really bad place um, emotionally and psychologically. I was working on myself and going to therapy and counseling. And I just, I didn't want to be any part of it. I didn't want to be on the news. I didn't want to help with podcasts. I didn't want to go put my face out there. I didn't want to talk to people and share the story or go to events. I just, I didn't want any part of it because I didn't feel like I was okay to do that. I didn't feel like, like I, I think that I felt really guilty for dropping them off. And I think that guilt led me to think that everybody was going to think that I was an awful person because I dropped my sister off. And that feeling kind of kept me in the background until I started to get over that feeling. And so at that point in my life, I, I had wanted nothing to do with it. Did, is that um, accurate uh, as far as like a description of survivor's guilt? I would say so. Um, I think um, part of me felt like like I was here and Libby should have been here too. And it was my fault. Like I, I think part of me really felt like I was the reason she was gone. And if I had went with her or I had said no, like I would have any other time, um, that it would have, it would have been okay. And that wouldn't have happened. That's a sort of an isolated area where they went over the uh, the railroad tracks, which are not functioning as railroad tracks anymore. Is that a popular area for uh, for kids to go down and, and hike or, or just hang out? It is. Um, it's, it's part, well, the, tr- the train tracks themselves aren't actually part of the trail system. Um, there's actually like, there used to be a place that blocked it off so that you, you knew that the trail ended there, but you could still go around it and get to the bridge. Um, so Doug Carter actually told me that no, like a train hasn't been on it since like the very early 1900s. So like, it's a pretty dangerous bridge and we know that we're not supposed to cross it. Yeah. But it's something that people in high school at Delphi would go do just because it's so beautiful. It's such an amazing place to visit and, see the beautiful scenery and the water is spectacular and it's just it's super relaxing to go there and just enjoy the quietness of that spot um so it's definitely somewhere that a lot of teenagers would go visit and even that day there had been people there um off and on throughout the day do you think that this was a uh, sort of stalking ground for this person do you think maybe this person had been there before looking for people and he realized that this was an area where uh where kids hung out i think that if you're local to the area you would know that people are out there often especially teenagers and um, families with kids i think it's definitely a possibility yeah yeah okay that's that's a great answer because i guess my my actual question that i just kind of um stumbled around (laughs) verbally was uh is this some area that is accessible obviously you know if a stranger were to come into town would he just be able to see this trailhead going out to that area so 
So in order to get to the actual, like the actual trailhead is that Freedom Bridge. Um, so you wouldn't really know that the bridge is there unless you aren't from Delphi. Um, actually, even my my swim coach went to high school at Delphi and she didn't know about it. So I think there are people that don't know that it's there, even if they are local. Um, but not too many people know about it if they haven't lived in Delphi or knew people that lived in Delphi. Have there been any other reports of violent activity near there? I don't believe that there has been, um, at least um, put out there, like, as public knowledge. I haven't heard of anything. Um, But that doesn't mean there's not. There definitely could have been something that I just haven't heard about. Do you have uh, alerts that are sent to you through, you know, I don't know, maybe Google alerts or anything that would be... um... You know, uh, any sort of uh, crimes that have been committed around the area? Any sort of keywords that that uh, would pop up on Google? Delphi is like such a safe space. It's such a safe community um, that not really much violent happens there. There are some things that happen, but not as violent as this has ever been. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I've never gotten alerts saying that something's happening in Delphi unless it's like an older person has fallen or um, somebody committed suicide. That's happened a couple of times, um, but nothing that would ever be violent enough that I thought it could be related well, if um if anybody has a tip, where do you typically tell people to send the tips or if anyone has, uh, if they just want to reach out to you, is that a separate um, outlet? So if people want to turn in tips, um, the common thing that we tell people is to send an email to the tip line. Um, that goes straight to our investigators. So they get the emails quicker than they do the phone calls. The phone calls go to the FBI first and then are sent to us. So if you have something and you're like, oh my goodness, this guy looks like the guy or his voice sounds exactly like the guy don't go out and post it all over social media and share it side by side and make a bunch of rumors out of it but send it straight to that email and the police will look into it if you want to contact me personally um i would message me on twitter or instagram um those are the two main places that i check for messages. And if anyone does have uh, information about the case or about the uh, the suspect, you had mentioned earlier how good a relationship you have with law enforcement is. Uh, they can expect that this is going to go directly to law enforcement. That's correct, right? Yeah, it'll it'll go straight to our investigators. Um, they will get that message. And something something that's really important is if this person like. Like, we're sure somebody knows. Somebody knows something. Somebody's been told something. It's been almost three years. There's no way that this guy hasn't slipped up and said, hey, I did something really bad. I did something really messed up, and I want to tell you. Or, like, slightly mentioned it in conversation or something about it. Or they just, they're really suspicious, and they're keeping up with the case, and you know that they're being obsessive with it. They're printing every article they're looking up every single news outlet that's reporting it and watching every single video listening to every podcast Uh, the person that's being really obsessive and you have that information and you know that that person is 
likely to have done it or you feel that they're likely to have done it, you can turn that in and they will protect you if you don't feel safe. They will make sure that you're safe in the end, no matter what, no matter who it is. Um, if you know, just tell them and they will make sure that everything's okay for you. That's awesome. Um, and another uh, quick thing I wanted to share, and you probably know this, but uh, back when the video was released and you could clearly hear the words down the hill from the perpetrator, uh, members of the Indiana State Police referred to your sister as a hero um, for for getting that recorded uh, so soon before the, the violent act happened. Uh, how do you feel about that? My sister has always been my hero, so that was that was something that it didn't shock me that she would do something like that. She she was such an amazing person, and that's just the way that she was. But I I also think that Abby was a hero too. Um, I think both of them stayed with each other and protected each other. And even if Abby didn't have a phone and she didn't take that video and she she didn't physically leave something for us uh, like Libby did. I think that they both stayed with each other and protected each other. And she played a big part too in making sure that we had that video. So both of them, both of them are my heroes and I'm so, so proud of them. Yeah. Well said. And honestly, you are, you are uh, particularly well-spoken and articulate and one of the most articulate people that, that we've talked to, uh, directly connected to so, such a horrible tragedy. I, like, I, I can barely speak talking to you. <laughs> I <Yeah>. and <laughs> and to hear you so like eloquently, uh, and and clearly talk about this is really an inspiration and humbling.